what we're looking to do um, is to just capture stories. Um, and part of the story telling and the important piece that we want to really talk about is how important, um, from what we're learning, the Hawaiian culture plays into all of this. Um, it's not a story of just what has happened, but it's what happened, but also going forward, how important community, your place, your position, all of that matters in respect to the spirituality and faith of what your community represents. And so for us, it's been a whirlwind of interviewing and talking with firefighters. We've met with spiritual leaders and cultural leaders within the community. Um, today, sitting down with you is, is going to be an absolute treat. Um, a council member in Lahaina. Yeah. Political, that's a political appointment, correct? Uh, elected official. Elected yeah. official. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in a elected official home, so my community, uh, my father was a councilman for, I think, 16 years and mayor for 12 years of the community that I grew up in. So I know what that household feels like um, and to be a part of. Um, I, you know, and so I respect that wholeheartedly, um, especially when you're working on behalf of the people and fighting for the people. Yeah. Um, so I came out of um, the fire department before that. I mean, just a few years, but 20 years in ocean safety prior. Ocean safety with lifeguarding. Um, yeah. How does that, so educate me on that a little bit, because I'm, I'm fascinated by that, because the beaches are wide open and beautiful, but there's no lifeguards. Like where I come from, we have lifeguards on every, every other block, you know, street block, there's a, a lifeguard post. How does that work here? So um, the lifeguards are paid for through the county. So the lifeguards mostly operate out of county beach parks. And so there's nine lifeguarded okay. county beach parks. And then um, the state contracts with the county for each county has about one state lifeguarded beach. So ours is McKenna in South Maui. Okay. Um, but here in the west side, we have two county lifeguarded beach parks, um, Hanaka O'o and DT Flemings. Early on, um, moves were made to implement a jet ski or rescue watercraft operation. And so then um, we, in like a 12, 15 year trial program, um, we're operating on the 911 system on the dog catcher channel for most of the time. <laughs> um, yeah. But then, you know, we, we got out from under parks and recreation and we moved over to the fire department. Right. And so then, you know, I mean, as long as I've been, had been a lifeguard, we were on the 911 channel and uh, responding to 911 calls in the ocean where our primary responsibility was the county beach park. And then if we got a 911 call, we would leave one person to watch the beach and then one person would go um, to answer the call. You grew up in the water. I mean, to, to live here, you're one with the land. I mean, this is, right? I mean, everything yeah. is about the land and the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like the water. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, how could you not? I mean, I. It, so such a beautiful drive. We've been um, in the last few days. We've been all over the island. Um, Chief Amos has taken us to all different areas, up country, along the coast. We're inland. We're over here. It's incredible. And and how this island changes so fast too. Not only just the the geography of it, but also the weather. All of it is just so very different where you go. Yeah. Um, 
it's stunning. And the reason why I bring this up is as we take that bypass out of Lahaina and head up towards, uh, going towards the airport down that way. Mm-hmm. You drive along on that ocean drive and it's stunningly beautiful. And there's people just pulled in, backed in, and hundreds of people surfing, playing, enjoying the water. It's just such a beautiful, innocent thing. I love it. Most times, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, occasionally there's, you know, um, high surf or sure. high surf advisory warnings and yeah. things like that. So how many years have you been a lifeguard? About 20. 20 years. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Yeah. I, what I, I, I'm like kind of jealous of that, I'll be honest. <laughs> so that's incredible. And then, you, but you're, so through that, do you then have um, a sense of community, right? When you serve the public. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I was, I mean, of, of all the candidates, I, I would feel like the most like on the ground level, grassroots. Um, we, there, there's a surf break about a mile north of the beach that I used to work at called Honolulu Bay. I don't know if you've heard of it, mm-hmm. but um, it's kind of world renowned for um, just, you know, stand up right hand barrels. And uh, there was... Um, desire to like you know develop luxury homes and a golf course over it and the community kind of stood up against it and somehow I ended up like the president of that nonprofit organization and um, we kind of lobbied the state to purchase the land around it and um, that was successful and so um, you know for all the press releases that we did regarding Honolulu and like that, a lot of people I think felt that they knew me. And then so, you know, um, in 2014, the state purchased uh, about four acres of, or four miles of coastline, um, a lot of acres. And um, yeah, to preserve it in conservation, we're still working on a community-based management plan. We, we had almost finished and then COVID and then we're like yeah. getting back onto it and then now this. So it's it's a long process. Um, and uh, we just had someone new step up onto the coalition. A, a young man named Paele Kiakona is the new president. So um, really stoked about that. We've been looking for like, you know, transition leadership for, for a long time. and. Um, was that easy for you? Because a lot of times when a grassroots effort, all of a sudden you get thrusted into a position of leadership? Well, it, it was difficult. I mean, the first year was normal um, politics and yeah. I couldn't get used to too that the windows didn't open, you know? <laughs> it was like a big <laughs> yeah. air-conditioned building and yeah. it was really difficult, um, you know, just sitting in meetings and listening and reading and all of that. Um, but then, you know, we went into COVID, like my second year in office. So I would say majority of my time in office has been under emergency proclamation, you know? Wow. Wow. Yeah. I Think about that, right? I mean, that's in, in when you when you talk about COVID, I mean, I know how tough COVID was on the islands as well. I mean, yeah. there was uh, tourism stopped. Um, as an island, uh, you you need to keep within your own so that it doesn't yeah. grow. Yet your industry and commerce depends on a lot of people coming in from the outside. Yeah, it was, I think, you know, the hardest thing about it was um, 
you know, how divisive it was. You know, some people had, um, you know, multi-generational families and uh, health issues, asthma or whatever. And then other people were like, well, I'm healthy, you know, and I don't trust what they're going to vaccine about. And so it was really um, divisive. And then there was the loss of life and then the overwhelming of the healthcare industry. So it was just, you know really difficult time. I mean, anytime the community is divided is, is not a good time. <laughs> well, it's hard, right? Yeah. It's hard because I, I think what's really interesting too is from what I'm learning in my time here is when community is split like that, it's even harder here because there's this underlying family, this underlying uh, inclusion where everybody's part of the whole. And so when there's a rift or there's some type of dis- divisiveness that runs deeper here than most places yeah yeah and and something like that it wasn't really an issue that people would be able to compromise on you know like and then and then it got negative but like you know some people really wanted the vaccine and some people were like oh my goodness you're gonna die soon you know you took the vaccine and there's not much space to compromise with that there's not You're right. It became a very polarized issue for sure for so many. Um, Politics, not an easy, not an easy avenue to go. And and what I was getting at before with the grassroots is there was, you were in a position to protect the shoreline because you're in love with your home and, and the shore and the water and the beach. And we don't want development. And then from that position of a voice for the community and, and now you find yourself in a council position. Yeah, and the first two terms I was um, in charge of planning and land use. And so like, I had to approve all the developments, which was kind of like, oh my goodness, you know? Yeah. But we want somebody like you in that position though, right? We, We don't want that rubber stamp. Like you have to be very protective of the land in which you're very so proud of. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I. I did my best to put all these safeguards in there. There's always the argument that, you know, oh, you're putting too much responsibility on it. It will never get built because of all these um, constraints or whatever, you know. So we tried to to address and mitigate all those things by like, okay, well, then the affordable housing fund could be used for certain things. Like, you know, if you want sidewalks and, and it's an affordable project, then let them use affordable housing money for sidewalks or, or things like sure. that, you know. You bring up affordable housing. Um, that's a, a, certainly a, a conversation that has been at the forefront here. I know how expensive it is to own and, and live. And, and through a lot of the conversations with the cultural leaders here, um, you know, you hear about generational uh, families where multi-generational live together in the same home. Yeah, that's it's a widespread, way of yeah. It's a way of life here, right? Yeah. And, it's, and then I hear on the other side that there's so many young that have to move off island. They would love to stay, but they can't. Yeah. It's a yeah. challenge. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, I mean, while um, our young people don't see much opportunity to like own a house in the future or whatever, there's plenty of young people from the continent and elsewhere that just want to come over here and, and like, 
you know, not necessarily owning a house is on their agenda. They'll work the um, tourism jobs. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that a lot of the people that have just moved here do end up to be homeowners. And I don't know how it is that our people that grew up here are not able to do that other than you know they have an infusion of money from from their parents or from mm. some outside source because you know the people that are born and raised here um usually remain renters or in generational homes but um you know a lot of people that i've seen like you know just moved here working at the restaurant or whatever or um paddling canoe do end up becoming homeowners and so i'm not sure how that works out interesting yeah no it's an interesting conversation for sure right i mean you you know you you want people to stay and you want people to be a part of community you know the one thing that keeps being stressed to me about the the sense of community here is all are welcome but you need to contribute you need to be a part of the community if you want to be here yeah it's important yeah. Holding people accountable. Yeah. I mean, I Maui sometimes does have a way of spitting people out if, you know, they're... Because it, it is a small... Word, word travels fast. Mm-hmm. There's something good about that in a way. Oh, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Right? It's that, it's that informal way of maintaining a certain level of culture and, and wants, right? That mm-hmm. if you want to be here, we want you to be here. But in order to be here, you need to be a part of who we are. Yeah. That's important. The council itself, um, I know you are uh, a member of the Lahaina community. Uh, You're a member of the community. Um, Unbelievable tragedy unfolded there. Um, Speaking with so many uh, in so many different positions and understanding how that day uh, went down. and so on. Uh, it was the the perfect recipe for what transpired um, between the weather, the fuel load, the conditions that day. Um, would you mind talking about August eighth to me, and just a little background about where you were that day, or or um, or how that transpired in your eyes? Sure. Um, you know, it was. My two kids were going to both be in intermediate, which was going to start the next day. Um, And so, you know, we kind of had a plan, like, we're like, oh, last day of fun before school starts. And we're, like, going to go to, like, maybe the trampoline park, the movies or something on the other side. And, like, we're, like, mapping it out, who wanted to do what. And um, we woke up to uh, no power. And it was super windy and they're saying red flag warning, which, you know, it's not really known too much what that even means. Like, what is a red flag warning? You know, I mean, most times from me, from my background, red flag warning is like high surf. Yeah, high surf, (laughs) right? Danger in the water. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, oh, shoot, you know, maybe we'll postpone that or we'll just stay at home, you know, and... My husband um, was having a hard time breathing, like so he had a cough, he stayed home too. No power. Um, we found out Honolulu's store had power. We are like, oh, well, you know, we'll get go to the store, get a hot meal or something. We got there. 
um, you know, everyone from the hotels and everyone was there. It was just wall-to-wall people, got like a couple meals, um, had one of the neighbor kids with us, and we got all our food, went home, ate it. We were playing like um, just all kind of board games, Chinese checkers, had Mm -hmm. the radio on. Family time. Yeah, and uh, one of my husband's co-workers was uh, driving into Lahaina probably around 2.33, and he started sending over text pictures of like, oh, there's a fire in Lahaina, you know. So I just got a picture and posted it like, watch out, there's a fire in Lahaina. And not like maybe an hour after that, we lost all um, connectivity, like no uh, internet, no telephone, no power, nothing. And it's like, okay, well, you know, just hang in there, you know. I'm sure like we'll find out if something really bad happens. Uh, um, I started to hem my daughter's shorts and we didn't have lights. I went out on the porch like for the last of the light and um, one of my son's uh, classmates from school came up and I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, I didn't know they knew people in our neighborhood and um, they knew my neighbors. And um, my son went down to go like wanted to play, you know, and he's all like, mom, um, their house burned down, and I was like, what, you know? And I know where they live, and so um, it was kind of scary because where they live is, like, right in the middle of town, you know, yeah. right just off Lahaina Luna Road. And um, it was... They didn't know for sure that their house had burnt down, but they had to leave. They got all their animals. They had like two car, two or three cars. And, um, you know, we're just like, oh, well, what do you need? You got cots or whatever. And um, so we're kind of like, oh, shoot, you know. Then as it got dark, the whole sky to the south was red. Yeah, it's just like, looked like the volcano or something was going off and um, just walked a little bit further because it, it was similar in 2018 when when um, there was a fire, the sky was red then too. So still didn't think, you know, the worst happened. Um, I walked around the corner and my other neighbor was um, outside and she's all like, well, I'm just worried about Kaipo. He hasn't come home yet. He's probably going to try and fight the fire himself, you know. It's a neighbor between us. Yeah. And uh, so we were looking at it, getting redder and redder, and um, we see him come down the street, and my neighbor was so happy, like, oh, yeah, he made it home, you know? And and he was just, like, shaking his head and kind of crying. And um, so um, he was just telling us it's all gone, everything's gone. And his father-in-law... Um, ran the Na'aikane Cultural Center, and they had all these artifacts, all these legal documents, you know, they were in court over land disputes and stuff like that, and he's all like, everything is gone, the artifacts are gone, the papers are gone, and, you know, we're like, wow, how did, how did you get out, you know? And he said he just took the back roads out, um, and uh, so then, We didn't, I mean, we went to bed, but we didn't even sleep that night. Um, 
one of my aides lives on the lower road, like right before me. And um, we were supposed to have a town hall in like two days and go to the other side, check our sound equipment and like that and learn how to use it. And um, her husband hadn't come home from work because the road was closed and they're a one car family. So I was telling my husband, we got to go check on her, you know, just tell her what happened. And no one was home. We didn't know her husband hadn't made it back over the pulley. And we're like, oh, she must have left already, you know. And then we get home and she was sitting on my stairway. And she's like, oh, I need to catch a ride to the county building. And I'm all like, oh, we're not going to the county building today, you know. So, um... This is the next day? The next morning, the like next about morning. 7 or something, the okay. next morning. The fires are still burning. Mm-hmm. So um, I think what, I can't really remember much after that, but I think um, I went out to one of, the vice president of the Save Honolulu Coalition lives in Honolulu Valley. And the people that live in the valley, um, a lot of them are off-grid because there's no real services you can't have like spectrum or anything like that so i just you know thought that he would have communication because he has his own power systems and like that and he did yeah (laughs) and so you know i made some calls and um i knew that maui preparatory academy was being used as a shelter Mm -hmm. And so I was like, bro, we're going to need supplies because I know Honolulu's story is like wiped out by how many people were there. Like, we're, And so um, she's like, okay, we're going to try and load up some boats and get them out to you. I'm like, have them come to DT Fleming's and we can communicate with the lifeguards and everything. And so just trying to coordinate supplies to get in by boat to DT Fleming's and they ended up going down to Kaanapali, I guess. And it was just hours after they were supposed to be at DT Fleming's. And so we didn't go and meet the boats, but it was like they didn't understand how bad the communication was on the outside or what even the situation was um, because the only way I was able to call outside was to be in Honolulu. Right. And then I couldn't communicate to anyone else inside until I drove out from Honolulu, which is, you know, like maybe a 10 or 15 minute drive. So like I drive in, make a call. By the time I drive out, the situation is radically different, different. you know, sure. and, and then there's no communication. Like I'm like, I can't be driving back, back and, forth, and forth and it's right? like yeah. ineffective, you know, and. I felt like, you know, they weren't really um, making the most out of the 800 megahertz radios that the lifeguards had. I'm like, you're trying to coordinate a supply drop. The lifeguards here have 800 megahertz radio, the same as the fire department. Like, move them to a dog channel back again, because after we moved to um, the fire department, they gave us an ocean safety channel. You know, like, if we need to occupy the dog channel to, like, have a conversation, why aren't we doing that, you know, and... That's great thinking on your feet. No, I mean that. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, and that comes from your background of knowing the infrastructure from being a lifeguard for so long. Yeah, yeah. So it was, 
Then come to find out that um, they were moving all the people out of the shelter at Maui Prep to the other side, but they never told us. And so people were still trying to get supplies to Maui Prep, but we hadn't, we didn't realize that the survivors got moved out. And just, you know, that first two weeks felt like a lifetime because um, so many people didn't want to leave West Maui because we knew that the road to come back in was closed. So nobody wanted to leave and get stranded on the outside. Yeah, because you couldn't come back. And and we knew, you know, like thousands of people were displaced. What us guys on the Upper West Side with houses gonna go out of West Maui and then be like, add on to their problem of thousands of displaced people, you know? And some people had their kids on the outside and they were inside or vice versa. So that separation until um, when they opened it was really um, kind of traumatic to a lot of people. You know, like um, I didn't leave West Maui myself until we had a council meeting and, and it was kind of like being in that council meeting was the first time I had sat down <laughs> In, in weeks, you know, and not being like in survival mode. And and so then keeping my eyes open was a little bit difficult. <laughs> I, I'm sure, right? I mean, when you're, when you're in survival mode, it's all speed straight ahead. Yeah. When you had that second though to turn that off for a minute, I'm sure one, just the, the sense of tiredness overwhelms you, but then it's also this overwhelming sense of what's happened yeah and and being on the outside it was it was pretty much like normal on the outside you know everybody's phones worked wherever they stood (laughs) and internet worked and um, electricity and water and everything so that was um kind of eye-opening a little bit like a little bit parallel (laughs) reality sure for, for you to be um, a community council member, inherently there's a position of leadership there. Um, so in that first week, the first two weeks, um, I'm sure it was within you to make that decision to get coordination and communication going and to be a leader for your peers. I mean, that, that had to be a tremendous burden on you. Not burden. It had to be a tremendous... Um, feet for you because so many needed so much. Yeah. You know, after the the 2018 fire, um, I came into office in 2019 and I would talk to the former emergency management administrator, like, you know, trying to talk through things. And I did had, I had mentioned to him that Napili Park could be a place, you know, you just set up tents and stuff like that after learning about Hurricane Iniki and things like that, where it was pretty much camping for a year afterwards. I was mm. like, oh, well, we have Napili Park. You know, they have restrooms there. They have water. Like, that could be a place. And so the next day, I think it could have been probably, so Tuesday, could have been like Thursday maybe. Mean, meanwhile, on Wednesday, um, some of my husband's relatives made it out to our house and, and they weren't sure if their house was still standing. They had been um, 
kind of trapped in the Safeway parking lot, I guess. And then uh, when they were allowed to leave the Safeway parking lot, one of their sons lives in Honokohau. But as they re reached um, DT Fleming's, there was a blockade and I think they would have been allowed to go to Honokohau, but they just turned around before they even reached the blockade. Yeah. And so then they came to our house. Um, and so they were staying with us that first few nights. But um, when I was at the park and I was talking to my neighbor, Kaipo, who had seen the fire going on and he was saying like, you know, sounded like a war with all the propane tanks going off and cars exploding and stuff like that. He's all like, brah, everybody's going to need help, you know? And I'm like, oh, I already talked to the emergency management administrator. Like, this park could be a, a place, you know, if we just set up some tents. And he's like, I have some tents at my farm. And so he's all like, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it to the farm, you know, right. with all the blockades. Right. And so my husband's family had been making it down to check on their house. And amazingly, their houses were still standing. Mm. And so I had asked them, like, you know, how do you get to the house? And they said, oh, the red gate by the Hyatt is open. So um, I brought my county ID badge. I said I was the council member. And I jumped in with my neighbor. And I'm like, I think we can make it to your farm, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so we... As we were going down, we hit Kanapali. The traffic was all backed up. Um, somebody was stopping people at the bottom. And I was like, oh, go into Kanapali and go through to the Hyatt. And we seen, um, you know, the big Roberts buses being loaded up. All the tourists with their luggage lined up on the sidewalk, like getting ready to leave. And um, nobody noticed us just driving through, going to the Hyatt. And the gate was open, so we made it out from Hanako'o Beach Park onto the highway. So we bypassed that whole blockade right. over there. And as we were going towards um, the bypass, just like seeing everything was kind of overwhelming. I seen my husband's grandmother's house had burned down, like just all Wahikuli was burnt down. And um, I didn't... That first time going through, I didn't even notice what was still standing because my eyes were just going to everything that was um, not there anymore. Was that the first moment where you really had an understanding of the size and scope of the fire? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first time I made it through. Like before that, it was just people telling me stuff. Like yeah. someone said Safeway burned down, but Safeway was still up and... I went through um, a couple times to my husband's auntie guy's house was still standing and then his cousin's house was standing. But just to get there, um, I, sh I showed my badge like to get past the blockades over there. And um, so we, we, we got eventually to his farm. It's right off Lahaina Luna Road. Um, before the bypass, but on it's on Kamehameha School's land, it it is the some people call it, you know, the fallow lands mm -hmm. um, on the south side of Lahaina Luna Road. He had a twelve acre lease, I believe, for a farm there. So we hooked up his trailer. 
Um, got a bunch of tables, chairs, tents, just anything we thought we'd need to to create like a hub, you sure. know. And then when I got home, I we got out our tents and some tables, and our other neighbors brought out their stuff. And like there were like five or six main families, like most of them original families of the neighborhood. It was a workforce housing experimental design neighborhood. Um, and we just started putting together our things and making like a hub. And like, I just remember like, it seemed like all we did was set up a tent and a dump truck full of um, clothes showed up. Like they just started unloading garbage bags full of clothes. And I was like, not the clothes, you know, cause in 2018, when the fire happened, the clothes became like an overwhelming issue. And I was sure. like, oh my goodness, the first thing they're bringing yeah. is clothes. Yeah. <laughs> and luckily, there's a lot of, um, you know, young girls in our neighborhood who were all about sorting them out and <laughs> things like that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it was interesting who was coming through. Like we had specific people that we knew that weren't allowed to come through. And then other times, like, box trucks full of supplies would come through and, and they weren't looking for us. They were looking for someone else. Um, a funny story is uh, we had an idea about the same time as these other uncles had an idea and, and we didn't realize, I, I mean, I didn't realize what they were doing. I don't know if sure. they realized what we are doing, sure. but our park has t- kind of two hubs. <laughs> Ours is a big operation and there's is like a couple of tents and stuff mm-hmm. like that and it's two two of these old uncles that kind of got displaced from their house and they were staying at the park and I guess one of their nephews have big connections and so they came and they were looking for him and like four big box trucks and we're like oh it's probably those guys down there so we sent them over there and it's like these two older uncles and they're like we're not ready for four big flash <laughs> yeah. trucks. Right, and right, then right. So they came right. back here and, and we're like, oh, but they're over there. And they, they said, send them to yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> all yours. Yeah. Yeah. So then we like formed the chain line, you know, like handing supplies over. And Isn't it kind of incredible, though, that the supplies were just showing up? I mean, you you took it upon yourself to to build this hub in the park that you felt would be a good centralized hub spot. And then all of a sudden box trucks are showing up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, without communication. Right. Yeah. And and realistically, it was happening at almost every county right. park. You know, everybody had the same idea. Um, I don't know if they talked about it beforehand, like I talked about it beforehand, but everybody just took that initiative. And, and I'm not sure why the road was closed to supplies. You know, it's it was like questionable about what was allowed through. And then, you know, once... The road was closed, boats from Molokai was coming across the channel, boats from Hawaii Island, boats from Oahu. Yeah. And, and the channel between Hawaii Island and Maui is no joke. It's a it's known to be a rough channel, Alinui Haha channel. And it is kind of overwhelming, like that people, you know, just saw that on the news and, and everybody took it upon themselves to um, send help like that. Um, it's who you are. It's your culture. You yeah. take care of one another. I mean, it's the same reason why 
for yourself, you jumped into action. Yeah, um, without the communication, though, it's it's, it's pretty um, amazing. It is. And, um, you know, we, we were working on getting VHF set up, you know, just so that we could communicate with the other hubs. And then um, eventually we got, like, some, some walk, better walkie-talkies. And um, about a week in or so... Uh, these folks from Red Lightning Disaster Services, they flew in by helicopter from the other side and they brought a bunch of Starlinks. And um, at that time, there was still, you know, kind of paranoia about outside guys. Right. Like, we all know each other, mm -hmm. you know, so I mean, there's no problem trusting like people that you know from sure. Lahaina. But we didn't know these folks too well, except that, um, so Michael Schiffler, the CEO of Red Lightning, he um, lives in Kihei, and his sister-in-law, um, Lekamian Schiffler, um, her sister lives in Kawaula Valley, and she had been part of the relief in 2018. So we knew Lekamian, and she's like, my brother-in-law does disaster response services and he's bringing in Starlinks. And I didn't really know what a Starlink was except for that's what my friend in Honolulu had that allowed us to be able to um, communicate. Yeah. And so, you know, he landed at Kapalua. He borrowed a friend of mine's phone and called me like because the airport at Kapalua, I guess, had some reception. And at that time, um, my friend Kai Nishiki from Maui Nui Resiliency Hui had set me up with a Starlink. So I got the call and he's all like, okay, if you trust this guy that I'm talking to, I'll come to you, you know? And so they jumped in his car and it ended up not even being my friend that phone he was using. Right. It was a different friend yeah, that yeah. he jumped in the car and, and we... Um, we, we started to set up Starlinks. I think he bought like $70,000. He fronted the money for $70,000 worth of Starlinks. Wow. And um, he, uh, he would set them all up, like pre-program them and everything at night in Kihei and then bring them in and then like ask me where should we put these. And, um, you know, we, we put them all around. Um, but for three days, I had to travel with his team because people were like, um, when they finally got in, they had a black um, SUV and people were kind of um, paranoid about black SUVs. Absolutely. And they had these like black collared shirts and yeah. stuff like that. And they're like, so they'd pull up to a place and everyone would be like, who are you? And sure. like, I'd open the front door and they're like, oh, Oh, it's you. Right. And like, they're like, what, what, what's going on? I'm like, oh, these guys got internet. You guys want internet? And they're like, how much is it? And yeah. I'm like, no, no, it's disaster relief services. And so, it, I mean, that was a, a great three days for me, just, you know, being able to make people happy and yeah, get them connected. For sure. um, yeah. We did Honokwai Kauhale, which is like a big low-income housing complex. We did um, Honokwai Villas, which does ADA. We did like some individual police, lifeguards, and, you know, 
people like that. And we had residential and commercial systems. We put them, one at um, Honokawai Farmers Market. And just, you know, it was just like wherever. And then by the third day, people started contacting me like, yeah. hey, can I get a Starlink or whatever? Like I heard there's Starlinks. And then I'm like, at that point, I was almost like, I think you don't need me to escort you around anymore, you know? Yeah. And, and people are like, Red Lightning, what is Red Lightning? And they're like, finally, they're like, Starlink, Starlink, you know? And then I was like, oh. So people started to learn that Starlink was a way to um, communicate. And, um, you know, people still wanted regular communication because sure. the Starlinks were like, had a maybe 200 foot radius right. or something like that. So in those big apartment buildings they'd have to like come from come their room down sure. to like the pool area or something so it was it was just a band-aid solution you know for the for the moment but people could call their friends well, and that like that it. and say right. that they're alive yeah. you know so that was helpful. that was a that was a big part of the early days is communication open communication so that there was a real sense of um the situation. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, the, there were, um, you know, a lot of missing people at the time. Um, yeah. A lot of families were torn apart. Um, and the list of missing, and then people were found. And then, yeah. so the list was always changing, um, yeah. and so on. But the fires themselves were um, obviously devastating to your community, the people you represent. Um, and I know for you, going forward as a community leader, there's a lot of there's a lot of weight on you and your fellow council people, the mayor, um, because there's there's a tremendous amount of push and pull that's happening with everything. Um, so going forward for you, protecting the integrity and legacy of Lahaina and its people is paramount for you. Yeah, yeah, we we've been having. Um many many conversations about trying to start a land trust yeah um you know and and what that could look like and all the possibilities like if people need money right now and um we buy an easement or something from them and then when it's time to rebuild come back you right. know it's it kind of one of the sayings my neighbor said is we want to hold space not displace you know like when when you're ready to come back we want your land to be there waiting for you you know and if if we still hold the easement or if you pay back the land trust and you have your property back whatever it takes but still you know there's there's a, a also a number of people um some some elderly people and some people that in the way that they were able to escape the fire that um at this time don't don't think they'll be able to return to their property you know they just um i had that conversation yesterday with a wonderful woman and her husband and um we're interviewing them and we're chatting um she shared her whole experience with us uh and she says to me are you going to ask me a question you're going to ask me the question and that was you know are you going to go back and i'm like i said to her i said actually I said, I think I know the answer. She says, well, I'm not going to go back. And it caught me off guard because I thought automatically she would want to go back and rebuild. And, and, and she said that we're 
too old to navigate that. And we just don't want to have to do that. Um, they're fortunate that they have a place that they can call home now and, and so on. But I know that's not the case for so many. Um, and so that caught me off guard. And, and you saying that reinforces what she was saying that, you know, um, it certainly is going to be different for everybody um, going forward. I think, um, you know, a lot of, um, not a lot, but some of the older people, they just want to remember it as it was. Um, some people haven't even uh, come to the site to see. There's not that much to see anymore because they blocked off a lot of the site planes. But um, yeah, some people don't want to see that. They just want to um, remember, remember it. how it was. Yeah. Yeah. But too, you know, we we have heard from a lot of folks that. Um, even if they don't want to come back or even if they're moving away, they don't want to be known as like, you know, a sellout. And so um, the land trust is a idea like where they can sell in yeah. to the community, Yeah. community land trust. And uh, so we're talking with different um, entities that might be able to stand that up for us quickly take the monies and purchase the lands um, until we can form a structure and a governance and, and like that. And there's a couple of different land trust type of organizations that yeah. are interested. It's just, you know, moving in before the speculators do and um, moving fast enough for the families that need the money right now. Yeah. Well, I can, I can say this, you being, um, homegrown, you know, from from your roots, and being a member of the Lahaina community, and your days of a, of a lifeguard, and now in public service as a council person, they have good people like you fighting for them, and to make sure that the legacy um, of Lahaina lives on for sure. And um, you know, it's going to be an arduous uphill fight. But yeah. it's a fight that I know you're willing to have and, and so many are willing to support. So, you know, through the conversations that we're having, Lahaina seems to be so special to so many. Um, and uh, the, the rebuild, the restructuring and, and all of it, I'm sure will be in regards to how people cherished Lahaina, for sure. So, yeah, yeah well... We give you um, all the support in the world, and I just want to thank you for sitting down with me today and just giving me a little bit of your story. And um, I wish you nothing but strong success with your future endeavors on, on rebuilding Lahaina and representing its people. Um, like we started the conversation, I grew up in a political household. I grew up in a, in a, in a council member and then a mayor's home, and I know that it is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week job when you do it correctly. Um, and I know that it's consuming you, I'm sure. Um, and so I wish you um, full speed ahead, but take care of yourself, too, along the way. Thank you. When you shoulder the burden for so many, oftentimes we forget about ourselves. And it's important to sometimes just take a time out and focus on yourself, too. So be sure to do that. 
Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Sure. Really, thank you. It was thank a wonderful you. conversation.